Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry feathered or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Welcome, listeners, to episode one. Oops, no, actually, today's episode is number 99 and a half of the Two Vets Talk Vets podcast. Where too much talking of pets is barely enough. Why 99 and a half? I hear you guys out there ask. Well, it's because today I'm not joined by my regular co host, Dr. Robbie Anderton, but rather by a new co host. A massive upgrade, shall we say. A special guest co-host for this 99.5 episode. Kind of like in the music band Genesis, when Phil Collins took over from Peter Gabriel as lead vocalist, and the band then went on to a huge commercial success. That's how big a special guest we have on the show today. She's a qualified medical scientist and laboratory manager at the UVet Werribee Animal Hospital, which is one of Australia's leading veterinary hospital facilities, There are many more adjectives and accolades that I would like to describe this amazing woman, but time is of an essence today, and also we have a school run to do soon, but fair to say she's the leader of my rock band in that she rocks my world. It is my wife, Deb Kirkham. Welcome to the show, Deb. Good afternoon, husband. (laughs) How are you going? I'm well. I'm not too sure what to say after that uh, intro, but um, I don't think I can... uh be the lead singer of any band. Um, I wouldn't subject anyone to my uh, vocals, uh, certainly not with a microphone in hand. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. You do, you certainly do rock my world and thank you very much for stepping into the hot seat at such short notice today. Well, I'm not going to try and fill Robbie's shoes, you know, I'm a sort of a size seven and a half and he's sort of more your size 11, 12 man boot. He's so. your big clodhopper, isn't he? You he know? Is. Yeah, he's, 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 he's probably like, a bit like the, uh, the clown on Seinfeld that was trying to put out the fire with his big foot that George, <laughs> George was all worried about. So, <laughs> so anyway, we'll get, get stuck into today's show. Um, now, I, I, today, this week, I saw um, a client for a consult, and Ron and me, that something we often say as vets is a little bit of a joke is we treat all species. Mm. We're not like your, your GP or your, your, uh, your doctor, you know, your medical doctor or physician who just treats perhaps the one species. We mm. treat all species. And it was highlighted to me during the week um, when I had a client come in with their dog and, uh, and uh, the dog had an eye problem. And you'll find um, a lot of owners are quite squeamish with eyes in, in the consult room. Sure. And, uh, and this particular owner was too, but he didn't say anything. But I could tell every time I sort of looked at the eye or came close to the eye, he was holding the dog. And he was looking right away. Wow. It was all, it was all ceiling and, 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 and shoes for him. There was nothing, nothing in between. And I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. Yeah, he's, not, he's definitely making an effort not to look. So I was sort of looking at the eye and had a bit of an ulcer on the eye. So I was sort of chatting to him about how we're going to treat it and, and make it better. And at that point, I sort of looked at him. I thought, well, he's looking a little bit green, a little bit pale. And oh to his credit, the guy said, I think I need to have a little seat. And we get this a little bit in, in the consult room. And I thought, yeah, this guy's almost going to faint on me. And as, um, you, know, as, as you know, Debbie, you're, you're quite aware of the symptoms of, yes. of, of, uh, of something causing you to faint. 
Yes, a bit of a history as a fainter. Yes, and uh, and he sat down and I, uh, he was looking very unwell. I thought, oh, what am I going to do? And we get it quite commonly. So I grabbed his little, you know, he had a little Maltese shit. So he grabbed it on my arm, ran down the back of the clinic, got him a glass of water, grabbed him up with a glass of water. He said, oh, yeah, I'm feeling really fine. I haven't any breakfast. I was, I so I ran down the back of the clinic, got the big jar of chocolates that we got down there, <laughs> brought him some chocolates. He said, oh, no, no, I don't want any chocolates. I thought, mate, you've got to eat something. So I, I forced him to eat a, a lint ball, I think. I think he went for the milk variety. You, it would have been hard for you not to perform the usual veterinary, um, you know, sugar rush, which is honey on the gums or oh, something yes. like that. That would have, wouldn't have gone down too well. No, well, I would have to call a nurse and get him in a headlock and <laughs> rub some honey on his gums. No, so I did offer him a lint ball. And after I ate three or four of them, I then gave him, gave him something else. And he had a limp ball and as soon as he ate that, a bit of sugar rush and he was feeling a lot better. So Good work. We do get that a bit in the clinic. Yeah. I reckon that, you know, there's, I remember a, um, a farmer I, I was uh, when I was working at MAFRA a long time ago. Wild and back. Sorry? Wild back. Yeah, wild back. And, um, and, uh, and this farmer brought his dog in and I think we'd seen it a few days earlier with tick paralysis mm. and we treated it and then it came in on the weekend again with similar signs. We're like, it's got to be another tick oh sort of there. And so this guy was a big burly farmer and uh, we uh, put him out in the, the dog and him out in the treatment room was just me. It was after hours. And I said, mate, the only way we're going to find this tick is I've got to shave your dog essentially and try and find the tick. Mm. And so we're in the treatment room and I'm there with the clippers shaving away, concentrating on what I'm doing, trying not to cut the dog with the clippers, you know, get the hair off, trying to find this this tick and next thing i know he collapsed and as he's collapsed on the ground he's pulled the dog on top of him oh no so yeah he had this giant it was like a oh, it's like a giant poodle or some oh. large probably wasn't a poodle not a country. poodle for the farmer probably no. not no something something a bit more masculine well, not the poodles aren't no masculine okay let's stop but, there yeah thank you <laughs> thank you and uh and uh but it, was a, it was a big dog so yeah. and it landed on top of him and i uh I was like, maybe it was a Labrador, and I sort of got the dog off him, and I said, oh, mate, you know, I think you better go. So he goes, oh, no, no, I'm fine. You could tell. Oh, it was no. pale as anything. And so I see him, just seen him out, so I sort of booted him out, said, get out, mate, go on, get out and get some fresh air. I came out and checked on him a minute later, and he goes, oh, mate, as soon as that fresh air hit me, oh, geez, I was doing it hard in there. I said, yeah, you're on the floor. Yeah. He's like, really? Really? I fell over. He was like, yeah. So, so it's really common that we do see, but the thing um, – the thing I was pleased with this owner is they actually told me how they're feeling. Yes. Whereas that farmer didn't tell me. So that was a, as a new graduate, a couple of years out, I didn't know what I was dealing with there. So uh, it is something, something we certainly do see at the clinic as well. I think um, a problem with um, people standing up too is that you're focused on the dog and or the, the animal yep. you're looking at. And that person standing up has a long way to fall if they faint. You know, if you go and have um, blood samples collected, if you need to go to your GP pathology rooms, you're seated in a big chair, right? And yeah. if you look like you're going to faint, they have a way of bracing you in that chair. It doesn't matter ah. if you're a child or certainly in my days of learning phlebotomy, which is pathology collection, they teach you how to stop a you know six foot six man from falling forward. But when they're in a chair, that's quite a different uh, proposition to when they're standing. Two clients standing up and feeling faint. And um, I think perhaps something that happens is people stop breathing. They actually stop breathing. When you start feeling faint and people start realising, oh, I don't feel well, they're actually not breathing. And, um, you know, they're holding their breath. Right. Um, And so... 
it's hard to recognise that in a person, but if they look like they're holding your breath, so mate, take a breath. That's a good one. Yeah. Take a breath. No, you buddy. need to breathe. And have, have a yeah. seat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As a fainter, I recognise those yeah. things. So, although I haven't fainted for a really long no, time, no. so no, it must be yeah. the children. I think hard the children. Hard you? Fo- <laughs> you I'm focused on them. Yeah, that's. I, I'm, I don't have any problems anymore. So no, you're all good now. You're all good now. And as well, this week, um, one of my colleagues actually got bitten by a dog this week which was really really nasty Ouch. another i guess something yeah we see on the job that that happens i suppose and it was a terrible situation i think it was a dog that had come in that was um that had been hit by a car mm. and i think it had a broken leg from memory and yeah. i think carl's gone in and sort of was wrapped up in some blankets and he's gone to remove the blanket and the dog's just just obviously yeah. got a really sore bit and has yeah. bitten him and really horrible situation i mean I, I, I doubt that there would be vets out there that hasn't mm. potentially been bitten or scratched or both by, um, you know, it is it is part of the job. But but the interesting thing was I then had journal club during the week where I met up with my behaviour boffins mm. at night where I leave you to put the kids to bed <laughs> and I, I rush out to, to some, uh, some far-flung... <laughs> Some far fun destination that they decided to hold journal club. Anyway, beside the point, and and I was talking to my my colleagues who most of us are, we've done a further you know degree in animal behaviour. Some have done PhD. Some are specialists in animal behaviour. We were sort of talking about, um, and, and some of them are GP vets as well, like myself, but but um, have have done a behaviour degree. And we're talking about bites in the veterinary clinic and I was sort of thinking touch wood I don't think I've been bitten at the vet clinic for maybe you know 10 or 15 years Mm. probably since I've done my behavior stuff and I'm finding I'm very aware of body language and when we went around the table it was the same for all us behavior vets so it sort of made me think that, that perhaps the training that we get as doing the behaviour stuff has really made me realise a lot more of the body language of the animals to say, you know, I'm going to bite you and, and, and watch yeah. out. Not saying that Carl could have avoided being bitten in that circumstance where the, the dog's in a lot of pain, but, but it just made me realise that, you know, because I think a lot of my colleagues quite routinely seem to be getting bitten mm. and touch wood, I seem to be you know, able to perhaps read their body language a little bit better. Yes. And then it sort of came to a head when on the weekend I... I was squirreled away in my study, wasn't I? I've been yes. getting a project to um, to do some videos of basic body language for some assessments from um, from some students and that sort of thing. And I was trying to find on YouTube, wasn't I? Some, yes. Some very simple body language. This dog's anxious. This cat's fearful. You know, and it, it was difficult to find. Yeah sort of uh, snippets of behaviour for, for assessing students that was was really clear that, yes, that cat's going to be aggressive or, you know, that dog's anxious and that sort of thing. And and then I went and showed the videos around at work that I've done just to see, you know, that if the vets and the nurses could get it. And the vets and nurses could sort of usually get the, the what what the, what the behaviours were, but they just weren't using the right language. They were yes. saying the dog wasn't happy, mm. whereas I would say, oh, that dog's probably anxious, you know. And sort of that changes it a little bit. You know, happy dog, you could sort of, uh, oh, look, look at if she wants to join the party, Deb. Oh, she's saying, yeah. Mum. Yeah, she's at the door going, let me in, let Standing me in. Standing up. Anyway, <laughs> and, and so I think um, – and, and – yeah, I think that that's something that's really lacking and certainly the, yeah. the, the students at uni. Well, you, if, if you reflect on your time at vet school, did you have that very explicit teaching of, of 
body language? None at all. It was, it was yeah. none at all. Like, and and uh, I guess for myself, like I didn't grow up with pets. You know, mm. I didn't have dogs and cats growing up. So everything I've learned, I've really learned from scratch. And I'm I'm sure there are other vet Pardon students. the pun. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my sound effects? I need oh. some sound effects. Touche. Yeah. No, that's not the right word. Continue. <laughs> that's not <all> good. <laughs> and um and so um yeah, I I really think that um. You know, there are people that, uh, you know, and I don't think the average owner can identify body language as well. I mean, sure. I had another client in during the week that, that wanted to argue with me that her dog wasn't anxious at the vet, which is really, yeah. really difficult. I'm yes. trying to highlight these signs. Your dog's, uh, you know, it's panting, it's um, it's licking its lips, it's yawning, it's pacing in the consult room. Your dog's anxious. Oh, mm. you know, and they, they blew in their face trying to tell me, no, it wasn't. Put on the table, it's baring its teeth at me. You know, it's really, really, you know, quite scared and anxious. <laughs> And what, was, what was that? Just a, a smile for you? Well, not a, not baring its teeth. Yeah, pretty, a smile. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if it bit me, it would have been a love bite. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> As I've had You've heard that before. I've heard that before. Mm. No, no, it was a love bite. Yes. But yeah. So, uh, body language. Yeah, it's a really pa- been a passionate week for me about the body language stuff, and um, and and just I think there needs to be a bit more at the early stages, and and I'm always trying to educate my clients. You know, when that the classic one is you take. I think Robbie and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You take the dog off the consult table and put it on the ground first thing they usually do is, is have a shake mm. and that's an anxiety shake it's like yeah. shake it off oh, what happened there i wasn't so comfortable about i'm shaking it off now and, and but owners don't realize that until you say hey that was a, that was an anxiety shake obviously what we did just before it wasn't quite as comfortable as perhaps we thought it was so next time we might use more food rewards or take it a bit more slowly yeah well so, i'm sure um students having some more explicit teaching will stand them in good stead for the future because I don't know that people, I mean, having, you know, spent decades with you, I know, and and working in a veterinary hospital, uh, it's perhaps taken for granted that vets and nurses really are putting their body on the line. You know, they are at risk of all sorts of injuries when they're dealing with sick and injured animals. And, um, yeah, I think any training is um, going to be very valuable. I think so. And from an OH&S perspective, you know, I think that, so that uh, you know, that vets, you know, if you sit vets up from a young, from when they first graduate to understand and read body language, so important for the rest of their lives for, for preventing them from getting bitten. Yeah. You know? Yes. So, so I think that that's a really, really important concept. So anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, of course, we've got our sponsor, Zilkeen. Zilkeen. Big thank you to Zilkeen, the mild anxiety lowering medication um, that uh, that we use for Olive, don't we? When when she goes off to the cattery, and it works. Yes, it, it d- works really well. It does help her definitely. So big thank you to those guys. Um, you know, if you've got, uh, I had a, had a dog in this week that had some some noise phobias going on. So we're gonna we put that dog on some Zilkeen to see if that'll assist. Um, and uh, and so, so it's a great great anxiety low medication, no side effects, and you can buy it over the counter. You don't need to have an appointment with your vet to actually get that stuff. And as well, also a big thank you to Delicate Care, the Aussie made um, and uh, and Aussie owned food. Um, I had a meeting this week with uh, one of big shout out to Simone from from Delicate Care. I met up with her during the week, um, and she actually had a question. Um, which uh, we might get onto a little bit later in the topic about how to trim the nails on her dog. So, mm. so big thank you to Delicate Care. They've got a range. They've got the the dog dental, the dog skin and stomach, um, which is great for those allergy dogs that are itching, uh, itching, or or maybe they've got some diarrhea. They've also got a mobility support, great for those older dogs, and weight management which I think they need for cats because Olive needs to get some weight management, doesn't she, darling? She's a 
She's a chubby old girl. She is. She keeps on putting on weight, but we'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> and also thank you to our Patreon supporters who, are, as I say, they're our intimate supporters. Do you have a problem with me using the word intimate? No, not at all. Yeah, they're no. your biggest fans. What would you do without them? Spot on. Exactly. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, um, go to patreon.com. Perhaps, perhaps you'd like to support the new special co-host guest we've got on. You know, you want to throw us throw us a little <laughs> bit of coin towards my, my, you know, the the wonderful tones that I've got sitting opposite me, uh, smiling away. Um, then, Stop it. <laughs> yeah, then go to patreon.com and search for Two Vets Talk Pets. Now, I'm going to hit the disclaimer now, which is out of order for Robbie, but uh, all advice on this show is general in nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following any advice for your pet. We do our best to provide the most up-to-date information, but as veterinary medicine is continuing advancing and changing, please let us know if we have missed anything. Now, the reason I thought we'd go with the disclaimer there, Deb, was I've got a little bit of an update on the the dog in Hong Kong and COVID-19. Excellent. Um, now, as I think we I talked about on the last episode when I was flying solo, mm. but at least I'm um, pleased I've got my wingman oh, yeah. today. Wing yeah, there's nothing. Woman, person. Nothing Person. like talking to yourself into a <laughs> yeah. microphone. Well, I was holding up a bottle of shampoo talking, actually, talking to that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, you know, it's great, great, to, um, great to have you on. Um, so, this uh, last week we talked about a dog that um, in Hong Kong had been living with a, uh, their owner, a human owner, who contracted the COVID-19 or the, the human coronavirus. And the dog had actually tested positive mm -hmm. from nasal and oral swabs for COVID-19. Um, so I'm going to read on a little bit from a, from a little annex update that I've got regarding the dog. So a little bit of background they give us. On February 26th, the Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation Department, AFCD, received a referral from the Department of Health that a dog of a patient with COVID-19 would be handed over to them. Staff at the AFCD picked up the dog from a residential flat at Tai Hung that evening and sent the dog to the animal keeping facility at the Hong Kong port of the Hong Kong Zhao Macau Bridge. Oral, nasal, rectal and fecal samples were collected for testing for COVID-19 virus. The nasal and oral cavity samples tested weak positive, so it's a weak positive, for the virus on 27th of Feb. Now, I just want to highlight that uh, this we've been recording here on the 6th of March. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, this is... A um, few weeks have passed. Yeah, a few weeks have passed. And as of, the, as of today, this, this is the correct information I have. If you're listening to this podcast a week after the 6th of March or so, the information may have changed. So just be aware of that. that, that as of today, it's correct. As of 6th of March, but things can 2020, things can change. Mm -hmm. So subsequent tests revealed weak positive results for the nasal and oral samples taken on 28th of February and similar results only for the nasal sample on the 2nd of March, five days after it was removed from the household, indicating the dog has a low level of infection. The dog has not shown any signs of diseases related to COVID-19. So that's just a really, really mute point and a mm. difficult point to sort of get ahead around. They do have a lot of frequently asked questions. I think we, we might actually go into those a little bit. But I guess the important point from that is the testing that they've been doing and given that, uh, that it's still present in the dog's nasal cavity sort of five days afterwards, my understanding is, is that does mean um, that the virus is replicating, is, okay. is, mm -hmm. um, is replicating inside the nose of the dog. Mm -hmm. And so technically they would, that's what's called an infection. 
but it's hopefully, and we're not sure about this, not replicating or um, making copies of itself at a high enough level to actually cause symptoms on the dog or, uh, well, more importantly, to pass the virus on. Sure. You know, it's not so um, – and, and the thought is hopefully it's what we would call perhaps a dead-end host. Yes. So mm. the dog has, has – you know, um, the owner has had the COVID-19, sneezed on the dog or the dog's licked a surface that the, the owner has touched. It has got the virus in its mouth and then in its, and in its nose as well and the virus has replicated but it's not going to be passed on to any other dogs or passed on to any other people. That's what we're hoping that, that the mm. case is. So, and and you know, th- things will eventuate over time. Um, we, I'll go through some of the frequently asked questions. There's quite a few of them here, but I think I think it's probably a pretty important topic that we perhaps need to yeah, need sure. to cover because there is a lot of um, perhaps hysteria around. Oh, COVID. Oh, look, I think you know the information about coronavirus is changing basically every day, and it's it's hard for people to to get a grip on something that could potentially affect them or a family member let alone their pets and um yeah it's just just rapidly changing information so it's good to keep on top of it exactly and and speaking of uh you know getting a grip of things getting a grip on a, a roll of toilet paper is a bit difficult hysteria <laughs> <laughs> in australia as well isn't it i am a frequent visitor to coles <laughs> and the shelves are bare yes you can't <laughs> can't spare a square anywhere these no, days. no you can't <laughs> <laughs> All right, so frequently asked questions. So what does tested in inverted commas weak positive mean? The results indicate that there was a small quantity of COVID-19 viral RNA in the samples. So RNA is uh, sort of a similar to DNA but a mm. little bit different that's found in a lot of organisms and would be found in this virus. I don't think viruses have DNA. I'm really testing myself yeah, that's there. Right. Thank you. Um all of us on the, on the show is generally <laughs> but no. So neither of us are virologists. N- no, we're not, or immunologists, <laughs> and, or and epidemiologists. We, and we pass our PCR testing on to other more experienced people. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Yes, exactly. So, so what basically that's saying it doesn't. It does not, however, tell whether the samples contain intact virus, which are infectious, mm-hmm. or just fragments of those viruses, fragments of the RNA, which are not contagious mm-hmm. on their own. Number two, what tests were used and were they specific for the COVID-19 virus? Testing on the samples were conducted by the laboratories of the AFCD and the University of Hong Kong, the latter being the World Health Organization reference laboratories for testing for this virus. Both laboratories used the real-time reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction, RT-PCR method. Mm-hmm. So it's something that we know a lot about. But basically, the PCR method gets those little fragments of RNA and amplifies them up so they can they can be, be measured. They yeah. can be measured exactly and identified. So the RT PCR is a very sensitive test which can detect minute amount of the COVID nineteen viral RNA in a mm-hmm. sample. The test conducted is specific and will not cross react with other coronaviruses of dogs or cats. So it's important. I think we've talked yes. about this on the show before. Dogs and cats can get their own coronavirus. And there's a little bit in the media going on about that, particularly about greyhounds and coronavirus. But they, apart from sharing the name, mm. they are not transmissible to humans. No. And they, they don't share. It's totally different to this COVID-19. And uh, they manifest completely differently. Yes. Cats have their own coronavirus. It's not a respiratory thing. No. Dogs have their own coronavirus. It's not a respiratory Spot thing. On. Yep. They're completely different. 
um, differently expressed in the dog and cat. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so number three, why are the retests necessary? The dog was removed from the household, which was po- which was the possible source of the contamination on the twenty sixth of Feb. Retesting was performed after the dog was put under quarantine to help determine whether the dog was in fact infected or whether its mouse and nose were being contaminated with the COVID nineteen virus from the household. So what are the retest results and what do they mean? Subsequent tests revealed weak positive results for the nasal and oral swaps taken on the 28th of Feb and only for the nasal sample taken on the 2nd of March. The rectal and fecal samples were all negative on all three occasions. The weak positive result from the nasal sample taken five days after the dog was removed from the possible source of contamination suggests that the dog has a low level of infection and is likely to be a case of human to animal transmission. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that you know, sparks a little bit of hysteria if you sort of hear that sort of thing, but, um, but we'll read on. So, will they do further testing? Besides repeatedly taking nasal, oral, rectal and fecal samples for monitoring purposes, a blood sample was taken on the 3rd of March for serological testing for antibodies mm-hmm. specific to the virus containing COVID-19. A positive result would provide additional evidence to show that this dog is infected. Right. So that sort of shows that the dog's had an immune response mm-hmm. to the virus, which would say, yes, it is seen as infection and the dog is trying to clear it with their antibodies. Uh, sorry, antibodies. Bodies. Mm. However, as antibodies take some time to develop after infection, a negative blood test does not preclude, uh, preclude the that's a word, isn't it? Preclude the poss- <laughs> possibility of infection. You know very well how I stumble over words sometimes. Oh, look, just keep talking. <laughs> Number six, according to who, there is no evidence that pets should be infected, could be infected with the disease or transmit the, transmit the disease. How does this correlate with your recent findings? COVID-19 is a newly emerged disease and scientists are still trying to understand more about it. The situation is rapidly evolving and information will be updated as soon as it becomes available. However, there is still no evidence at this time that the that mammalian pet animals, including dogs and cats, could be a source of infection to other animals or humans. So that advice hasn't changed. No. AFCD has formally reported the case to the World Organization for Animal Health um, and they've been in touch and talking about it. Number seven. What about dogs or cats in other households with confirmed human cases? So, we strongly advise that mammalian pet animals, including dogs and cats, from households with persons confirmed as infected with COVID-19 or as close contacts of COVID-19 infected persons should be put under quarantine in AFCD facilities. So, this is specifically for Hong Kong. Sure. Obviously, to safeguard public and animal health. We review the arrangement from time to time, taking into account the latest information available. I guess a little bit important thing there is, you know, if you're in another country uh, outside of Hong Kong and you're in a, a household that that someone is affected with COVID-19 and you have got some pets in the house, it would be wise to mention that to the relevant authorities that have diagnosed you as COVID-19 to say you've got some pets so that at least some monitoring can be put sure. into put into place. Um, not saying that they will definitely be infected, but no. good to have good to have some monitoring. So number eight, can pets spread COVID-19? At present, there is no conclusive evidence that pet animals such as dogs or cats can spread COVID-19 or that pet animals can be a source of infection to people. This is, however, a rapidly evolving situation and information will be upload, updated as it becomes available. Number nine, what should pet owners do? There is no evidence that pets will get sick from COVID-19 or cause human infections. The best way to prevent COVID-19 is to adopt good hygiene practices, hand washing before and after 
being around or handling animals, their food or supplies, as well as avoiding kissing them. And to maintain a clean and hygienic household environment, people who are sick should restrict contacting animals. If pets are sick, advice from a veterinarian should be sought as soon as possible. And I'll be ringing the vet first saying I've got, you know, mm. a, an issue where uh, if you think your pet might be potentially sick um, and it's potentially been exposed to humans with COVID, I'll ring the vet first so they can be prepared as to, as mm. to how they're going to handle it. Don't just rock up at the front door with a dog. No. Number 10, what pet owners should not do. There is currently no evidence that pet animals play a role in the spread of this human disease or that they become sick. Pet owners need to be need not be overly concerned and under no circumstances should they abandon their pets. So there's a little bit of uh, Facebook chatter coming out that I've seen of people abandoning their pets because they're concerned or... Is dump- that right? Yeah, dumping them at shelters or in even... In Australia? I'm not sure it's in Australia. I think uh, hopefully most of it's overseas, but there's... There's been a few news articles that are a little bit, uh, should we say, on the edge of talking about euthanizing wow. and things like that, which is just false information at this stage. So hopefully we'll clarify it for our listeners. Um, um, pet owners, yep, don't be overly concerned. Don't abandon your pets. If for some reason an owner is no longer able to look after his or her pet, they should contact the AFCD or an animal welfare organisation for advice and assistance. What Number 11, what should veterinarians do? Given the absence of, cl- absence of clinical signs in this dog, we recommend that veterinarians should review infection control measures in their practices and main a high, maintain a high level of vigilance at all times. They should use personal protective equipment, e.g. gloves and masks, and perform routine disinfection in the environment. When conducting examination of pets with known or suspected history of connection to the household of a confirmed case, veterinarians should take appropriate precautions to mitigate possible risks that the pet's and all pet carriers, etc., may act as a fomite. So a fomite means it might have the virus actually sitting on it, mm-hmm. like a, a, on an object. And able to transfer. Exactly. Think of the doctor's tie visiting you in hospital. Oh. Trans, that's your classic fomite and why doctors don't wear ties oh. in hospital anymore. Is that why they wear bow ties, maybe? Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, very stop, stop passing germs stop. from one oh, person to the yeah. next. Well, yeah, the... The, the tie-wearing um, obstetrician would be an interesting one, wouldn't it? Delivering babies, <laughs> catching them on his tie. <laughs> Her tie? Yeah, sorry, Perhaps. on their tie. Yes, <laughs> yes, of course. They should also advise their clients to wear masks when they attend veterinary hospitals. If their clients have any concerns upon the, upon the recent case of a dog tested positive for the COVID-19 virus, veterinarians may help advise their clients that there is no evidence yet that pets can spread the virus to humans and that the quarantine arrangements adopted by the AFCD are precautionary measures to safeguard public and animal health. Should there be any unusual situation detected in any animal, veterinarians are advised to report it immediately to the AFCD, or in Australia, I guess it would be the Department of Ag. Um, yeah. Good idea. 12. If there is not yet conclusive evidence that pets can be a source of infection, why do pets from households with confirmed cases need to be put under quarantine by AFCD? Although there's no evidence yet that pets can transmit the virus to other pets or back to humans, we strongly advise that mammalian pets, including dogs and cats from households with persons confirmed as infected with COVID-19 or as a close contact of COVID-19 infected persons, should be put under quarantine in AFCD facilities to safeguard public and animal health. We will review this arrangement from time to time, taking into account new information that becomes available. So there you mm. go. It's um, it's a changing time, isn't it? It's a, it's a changing, it it's an ever evolving world. Um, and I hope that 
perhaps just clarifies for owners at this stage where it stands. Mm. Um, you know, we, are, we uh, Robbie and myself, appreciate that we're a voice out there that lots of people listen to us and take our advice on board. Um, and we're trying to trying to keep it as relevant as we can for you guys. And if something major changes, we will put out. A, I think I'll tr- we'll try and put out a special podcast if something you know changes or develops within the week of, of us releasing our, our next um, our next uh, episode. Sure. So I think might be a good time for us to take a break, and uh, and we'll come back uh, with uh, with some further news articles in a moment. Want to reduce your out-of-pocket vet expenses? With GAP only, your pet insurance claim is assessed on the spot while you're still at the vet. You simply just pay the GAP and go. To find your closest GAP only enabled vet or pet insurance partner, visit gaponly.com.au. T's and C's apply. Visit gaponly.com.au for further information. Welcome back, listeners. We've uh, we've had a short break, haven't we? we did a we did a school run. We went to an assembly, had a meeting, had a meeting, and picked and up went, a child from the tram, and then went to the and I went to a tennis lesson, dropped one off at tennis lesson. So, so it, this is my way of getting out of going to Coles is to chat on. <laughs> go to Coles to an empty. Empty shelves to buy more toilet paper, is that right? Oh, no? did you put Panadol on the list? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's no, not there. Pasta? Rice? No, it's not Go there. on. I think there's rice. Is there? Mm. Anyway, look, I guess in the, we did have a little chat chat in the break, didn't we? Just that we want to put in perspective the coronavirus stuff, certainly from an animal perspective. Um, we're not sure if that sort of came across in what, what we're talking about. And I think, you know, there's... As of today, it's about 100,000, is that right, Deb? 100,000? Yeah. cases worldwide of positive coronavirus tests in people. In humans, yeah. And I guess there could be more if they're not testing. Well, that's right. There's probably many more yeah. cases of people who are asymptomatic and perhaps wouldn't have thought that they've been in contact with somebody. So if you don't test, you don't find it. But as far as confirmed tests go, it's up to around 98,000 right, yeah. confirmed so, cases worldwide. So close to 100,000. I mean, we don't know. I don't purport to know about the, the human side of stuff. I mean, no. we know the testing and stuff, but I don't know anything about the human stuff, so I won't go into that. But putting that perspective, we've got 100,000 confirmed cases of infections in, in humans, and we've got one week positive in one dog. So yeah. that's, that really puts it in the world. That's that's world over. You know, there, there would be testing going on. I'm sure of other dogs and pets and, and those yeah. situations. So that probably just puts it a little bit in perspective. We do, I do, I do like talking about the, on the podcast because I think I want to get the the correct information out to our listeners so they know they're well informed. But I think, like Debbie said, putting in perspective, one dog. It's been one hundred thousand humans. Um, one dog worldwide that's not even uh, sick and has not uh, potentially uh, has not appeared to pass it on to any other humans either or to other animals. So it's really good to keep perspective on that, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, we like to deal in evidence, deal with facts. We look at the data. What data have we got? It's pretty simple. I wouldn't be 
you know, relinquishing any pets at this stage. Oh, so no. Oh, Olive, definitely not. Olive's safe Olive's today. safe. She's staying today. She's staying today. Yeah, staying for another feed <laughs> <laughs> that we're trying to restrict. She's begging for food out there. Is she? She, she sees the girls are home and thinks they might be easy targets. Well, she is. We are trying a diet at the moment, aren't we? And it's... Uh, it's difficult because we've got some some great new food from Delicate Care, thanks to our sponsors, and she just loves it. She's eating eating too much of it, which is difficult and demanding more. But we won't go on about Olive too much because that, that will that will bore the listeners. We'll save it that would. for save that for for dinner time chat, yes. Dale. Um, now I've got I've got an article here from from news which I'm not sure if they're a reputable news source, but anyway, and it's uh, it came it came through Facebook actually uh, through Risner Veterinary Behaviour Services uh, LLC. If if you guys are on Facebook, it's a fantastic um, Facebook page you can go on to, um, run by a colleague Ilna Reisner, um in um, in America. Uh, she says fantastic talk about all sorts of behaviour things and dispelling myths, and I do get a lot of um, information from her. And this is a comment from her, uh, come, for, come through her page. It's uh, a Colorado, it's a short a short article, a Colorado, Colorado animal rescue organization is blaming a dog attack that killed another dog in Highlands Ranch, um, that's an area of Colorado, on a retractable leash that broke. Oh dear. Now, pet hater man and Robbie's are the retractable leashes. Why is that, Lewis? Well, many reasons. Um, uh, number one, it's it's quite hard to control that fat, aggressive rottweiler on a frayed retractable <laughs> leash in the waiting room of the of the veterinary clinic. Uh, n- number two, it, it's um, the the locks seem to play up. You know, they for those who don't know who they are, they're almost uh, like the uh, they're like they've got a handle with a little uh, lock and a button on them, and the and the long line, which is almost like a thin uh, thin rope, comes out and you hook onto the lead of the dog. And with control of the buttons, you can you know, stop the stop them running away or let them out and have a bit more line. The problem with the line is it's so thin it gets oh. caught around your fingers. People have lost fingers, oh. been amputated with it, and guaranteed that if I'm handed a um a retractable lead in the clinic it will not be locked and so they give me the lead to try and control the dog but i've got no control of the dog because it's just running away and so here i am because i don't use the leads i'm trying to lock it and end up just grabbing the string which is dangerous it sure is but it's like you know there is it's just a terrible way to control dogs and it's evidence of i guess this dog is is on a retractable leash that's actually broken um but we we see it at clinics i also don't like them because at clinics when they're attached to dogs and owners have got them and something happens and they drop the the handle. It's a big plastic handle and it bangs on the ground, oh. makes a big noise and dogs are already anxious at the vets as it is and then it makes a noise and, and really, really shocks them and, and, and can really upset some dogs even more. Wow. So it's kind of like trying to control your dog with a fishing rod. Exactly. With no stopper on it though. No yes. way to stop it, stop the line from running out. <laughs> Gosh. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Is that one of our daughters playing piano? Yes, I believe so. Hopefully you can hear the dulcet tones in the background, I, listeners. I can't quite hear which piece. No. No, we... I, I don't know who, who's playing that. It's not Raspberry that's, Rag. That's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, um, I mean, it reminds me, you know, I had a, a mini Dachshund just the other week that unfortunately... As a puppy, it was hit by a car mm-hmm. um, because the owner had it on one of these um, retractable leads 
um, and it didn't break, but they just, because there was a new puppy, they got a new le- leash, they didn't know how to work it. It just kept running out and then they, they oh. couldn't work out how to lock it in time. Oh, and the dog traumatic. got hit by a car. It's terrible. So mm. if you've got one of those leads at home, put it in the bin. Go and mm. throw it out. Don't use it. They're terrible. Don't, go, don't, don't buy them. If you want to give your dog a bit more leeway to walk a bit further away from you on a walk, buy a long, long leash. Give them a bit more of a long line. Um, and that way then they can, they've got a finite distance that they can go. You can easily stop them because you just grab the lead that's sort of in your hand. Um, but also the, the long line, the, the retractable leads tend to teach a dog that they can pull. Yes. Because they can always get a little bit more. Yes. And a little bit more. And if I pull again, I get a little bit more. Particularly if it's hurting your hands to try and reel them in. Yeah. Well, it doesn't hurt the hand because there's a plastic handle oh, if you're not okay. grabbing the rope. Right. But, um, but certainly just there's this big spool in the handle mm. and I tend to grab the string because that's the only way to control them. So it's, it's quite dangerous. So, so yeah, uh, that's... um. That's a short little article. Just uh, brings up a little pet hate of. Well, Robbie doesn't enjoy them either. Those yeah. uh, those long leashes either. Now this was another article that was sent in uh, by your father-in-law, Deb. Really? Yes. Yeah. Or my dad. I think it came with a comment that the podcasts are a little bit long. Hello, Colin. <laughs> yes. Hey, Dad. Um, so we might we'll try and keep this one short for you, Dad, because okay. we're in control, aren't we now? Yes. <laughs> we can do what Dad says. Uh, this is, uh, I think it came from The Age or it might be The Herald Sun. Uh, it's uh, a dispute. Uh, neighbour collared in legal catfight. A dispute between London neighbours over a wandering pedigree cat led to a court action costing tens of thousands of pounds in legal fees. Jackie Hall and her husband John turned sleuths when their grey and white Maine coon, Aussie, began spending long periods away from home in West London and even returned wearing new collars. Gosh. Now, I assume they're not, they didn't call it Aussie Osborne because I imagine that <laughs> might be something Aussie might do, Aussie Osborne. Spend but have long... makeup on as well if it was after Aussie Osborne. Exactly. There's no mention of that. Let me just check. No, no mention of makeup. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually tracked the roving feline to Nicola Lesbirl's home nearby after fitting him with a state-of-the-art GPS collar. Mm, good plan. Imagine putting one of those on Olive. She'd just go from the couch... <laughs> to the bowl. To, <laughs> to the bowl. To the backyard. To, to following us for some food. Back on the couch. <laughs> into the study. That's about it, isn't it? Yes. So they, they put a state-of-the-art GPS collar on it and claimed she'd spent years feeding him when he went walkabout. Letters, texts and emails asking her to stop were unsuccessful and the couple... From the Hammersmith district, oh, I've been in the Hammersmith area, yeah, mm. I lived there for a short period, eventually hired a top lawyer to apply for an injunction. Wow. Newspapers said legal action to resolve the four-year dispute ran up lawyer fees of more than £20,000. Wow, that's the long arm of the law, isn't it? $37,000 Aussie dollars. Wow. And was eventually settled last month before it came to court. Ms. Les Burrell... A landscape gardener. I don't know how she forked up forty grand in fees. Wow, gardens are expensive in London. In but, Hammersmith, but little, 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 but expensive. Expensive, yeah. People that, want those big trees. Even more so now. Miss Birrell's got a big legal bill. <laughs> Les Birrell. Uh, a landscape gardener made legally binding promises not to feed Aussie cat food, tinned fish, or meat. And to restrict her involvement with the animal. Mm. What if they purchased a, 
a hose or something for her <laughs> to keep keep old Ozzy off the, off the, off the <laughs> away from the house. Gosh. Uh, report said, Miss Hall, a child art therapist. Jeez, they had some big salaries over there. To, yes. To the art therapist versus the landscape gardener. Niche professions. They, they are. are. But, but stress-free. You know, the gardening <sighs> versus your art therapy. It's all you low, you know, like a, helping with other people's stress, perhaps. Yes, but the people have to pay for those services. So if it's hard to, you know, extract the payments, perhaps that's where the stress <laughs> comes in. Well, perhaps, perhaps the yeah, if they're not paying for the landscape gardening, they go and have mm. a bit of art therapy. You think? Well, children's art therapy. So then you've got to oh. deal with the parents going well. Oh, yes. Little Johnny's painting wasn't quite <laughs> Louvre ready, so. Oh, I hope it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a bit disappointing. I hope it wasn't like uh, some of the paintings in Summer Heights High. <laughs> Jonah does. Oh, dear. Yes. A bit we explicit. We won't go there, will we? <laughs> uh, so, the, so, Miss Hall, who was a ch- who's the owner of Aussie, told the Times newspaper the dispute was very distressing and needed many hours of child art therapy to pay for it and make up for it, I think. So, there you go. Well, How's that? Well... Maine Coon's a rather large breed of yeah. cat, isn't it? You'd yeah. almost be welcoming someone furnishing it with some food and cut down on the bills. Well, it would be cheaper than suing them for, you know, yes, cost, cost the 40, 40 grand. That's a lot of tins of uh, tons of tins of uh, fish or meat. Yes, for forty grand, isn't yes. it? Yes. Now we used to have a, a cat at home that um, used to disappear over to the neighbour's house. And um, they used to feed her and, you know, she put on a lot of weight. And I remember popping around to the neighbour's house to ask them, were they feeding the cat and could they perhaps <laughs> stop? And they sort of said, yes, she's here at the moment, sort of flung open the door. And yeah. here was this lovely cat of ours, Oprah, Yes, was sitting on her own chair. <laughs> and then this couple proceeded to argue about... What they had been, but no, we don't feed her. Oh, we do give her some tidbits. Do you think it's the bacon making her oh, fat or the sausages? So, you know, <laughs> they were, <laughs> but it was it was actually lovely because they were an elderly couple and they found great joy in Oprah's visit. So we thought that was okay. So we weren't going to, to uh, you know, send the lawyers in to, um, <laughs> to restrict their... Did, didn't end in a legal cat fight. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Classic. Very good. I love that a lot. Alrighty, I think we're coming near to the end of the episode um, for this week. We did get a mailbag, actually. Open it up. Well, yes. We need a sound effect for that, don't we? We got, um, got, a, got a message from... Uh, it's not a... Not a full mailbag email. I'm still waiting on the... It was more of a, a chat I had with a friend of ours, Giles, and oh, their daughter, Maddie. The verbal communication. Yes. And they were asking why their cat was meowing all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I didn't actually go deep into the discussions of of when it was meowing, but I thought I'd give them just a little tidbit, perhaps, and then they could come back with the, the rest of it. But cats have a... And this came up in the videos I was doing earlier in the week as well. Cats have a very distinct meow... Mm-hmm that they use exclusively for humans. So cats very rarely meow at e- or don't meow at each other with this same meow. They might yowl at other cats or hiss or when they're fighting. But when they greet other cats, they never meow. It's always very silent um, mm-hmm. towards each other. So that classic meow, 
when you come home and they're walking around and following that is only reserved for humans they only do it towards us and it's usually i'm happy to see you in all this case give me some more food (laughs) i had to get off the couch more food or um or i want something i want to be let outside perhaps or come and follow me to the food cuddle give me a cuddle that's one olive likes yeah come and follow me to the food Mm -hmm. the food bag that's what olive does (laughs) So, so hopefully that's a little, just a little sousant there. But it's quite lovely. So, has that um, vocalization in cats to people? How has that developed over their sort of domestication period? Or you know, this is just a learned behaviour in cats that their owner really likes them to to vocalize or yeah well i think i don't think it's a learned behavior as such because i think they're sort of born with it so it would be potentially a domestication mm-hmm. thing it would be interesting to know if people who keep more wilder cats the mm-hmm. the you know the tigers or um you know, oh. like the uh uh, is it the jackals and the, the small leopards and things, particularly in America, oh. whether they do the same sort of greeting? I think they might right. potentially do it. So maybe it is something that just cats do towards humans. I don't know. That's a really good question. Mm. I'll um I'll I'll leave that. I'll take that as a comment. Thanks, Deb. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you'll you'll get back to me. Yeah, and do I'll, some homework. I'll research that one. Sure. Yeah. Don't, don't let me. Don't hold your breath. Sorry. As if you haven't got enough to do, uh-huh. I'll just uh, load you up That's with some right. uh, yeah. some. Uh, loose ends to tie up. That's all fine. So we, we obviously this episode is ninety nine and a half, and uh, and we we know there's a special centenary one that's coming up at some stage. Let's have a party. Well, you did suggest that. That might be a good idea. So what what we're wondering, people, uh, listeners out there, would you if we organised a function somewhere? Possibly Port Melbourne area. I haven't run this past Robbie, so he might be hearing this for the first time as well. We thought maybe we could do a live broadcast for the 100. So it might be a few weeks in advance. We'll give you plenty of warning. So it might mean next week's is 101 <laughs> or 99.75 or something. Yes. But in a few weeks, and do we do a live one at a, perhaps a venue or something yes. and have a bit of a... Have a bit of a cake. Some champagne. Yeah. Let's celebrate. Yeah, exactly. Celebrate. Maybe. And so, thank the listeners for their uh, dedication to the pod and questions and really supporting you guys. And um, and the sponsors could perhaps come yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That would be great. Uh, it would be wonderful. And so... We, perhaps we just need a little bit of an idea if anyone wants would come along, you know, whether we'd be talking to ourselves. <laughs> well, I don't want to drink the champagne all on my own. <laughs> <laughs> and listen by yourself. So, it's, oh, there's a bit of bit of action in the house between children. Oh, gosh. Anyway, so um, so we're just wondering, a bit of a feel, if you would be interested in coming to Port Melbourne, maybe on the weekend or something to a... Um, uh, to a as kids are going crazy, aren't they? Anyway, to a to a Attention live broadcast. Attention seeking yes. would call that. Yes. Um, let us know. Get hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. Send us a, send a message to vetstalkpets at gmail So let us know if you'd be interested, and um, and uh, we'd love to meet some of you guys. And yes, and uh, come and say good day. And uh, and particularly if you're a Patreon supporter, we'd love to meet you as well. We did meet some of the ball, uh, the charity ball, which is fantastic. Um, but uh, so let us know. Um, we might be in a, in a well, maybe a bit over a month. Might be after Easter, something like that. We might mm, do it. Might might be the plan. Um, we'll have episode 100 at that stage. So anyway, um, there's uh, that ends our special episode. And thank you very much 
to our special, special, extra special guest, I think. Oh, not too special. Thanks, anyway. Deb, for coming on. And, and, uh, and I'm an easy target. Well, Come and do this. Okay. Well, yeah, it's good to have you on. It's been, been nearly 100 episodes and you have been on it before. You've I done have. some special special interviews and broadcasts and things. I've done some reporting. Yes. I haven't done that for a while. Some so. outside reporting. Yes, that was fun. But thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Scratch you later. Signing off. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at vetbehaviorist and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.